Welcome to the Daily Disciples Podcast with Tony Lee Adamson. Real and raw conversations dealing with life and spirituality. God so loved the world, but do we realize that he still does? God uses people's stories to encourage and enlighten us to continue growing, learning, and living with hope. Here, you will find the love of God speaking to you through the stories of others. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, this is Daily Disciples Podcast.podbean.com. We will be continuing the Life in the Spirit episode as the Spirit leads. Today, we will be posting another series called Women of the Bible. If you're interested in joining a live discussion on Thursday nights, please contact me, Tony Lee Adamson, co founder of Daily Disciples Ministries. Here is the teaching about the first woman in the Bible, and the first woman created, Eve. Enjoy the show. Chapter 1 of Genesis, we have a panoramic view. Chapter 2 of Genesis, we have a zoom lens of what life is like in the garden. God said to Adam, there are two trees in the middle of the garden. One is the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and one is the fruit of life, the tree of life. And do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good or evil, because if you eat from it, you will die. Then Adam had a job, which was naming all the animals. And when he went through every animal, Adam realized none of these animals are good companions for me. They were all made in their likeness to fit together, but Adam realized that A dog really isn't a man's best friend. He needs a woman. And so God created a woman out of Adam. So they really were one, like completely one, because they're made out of the same exact components. It's different than how life is today. And these two walked with God. They talked to God. They were naked and unashamed, and they had no weeds in the garden, there was no rain, the water came up from the ground and watered the ground and then would seep back down. Their lifestyle was very different. They didn't have fear, they didn't have guilt, they they just, they were blessed. Their only commandment was to tend the earth and then be fruitful and multiply. Just like the animals were called to be fruitful and multiply. So then we don't know how long it takes to get to chapter 3. But in chapter 3, now the serpent is talking to Eve. So even though Adam knew the serpent was not someone that should be wiser to Eve than Adam, Eve gave the serpent a lot more credibility than she gave Adam, telling her, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in chapter 3, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? We know that the serpent is pulling Eve way out to say any tree. Well, they were living off all the trees. That was clearly a stretch. And she replied, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God said, you must not eat the fruit from 
the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. So I do think Adam maybe exaggerated to Eve and said, don't even get near that tree. Don't even touch it. And we can see how that happens. We say things like that to our kids. You know, don't even get near that stove. Don't even touch it. Don't even get near that credit card. Don't even touch it. I mean, we, we can see how those things can happen in conversation. The serpent comes back in verse 4 and says, You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, wouldn't it be a great thing to be like God? I mean, we have learned that the way Satan, who's also called the serpent, who's also called the dragon, who is also called a murderer from the beginning, a liar, we have been told that Satan fell because he wanted to be like God. So even though Satan is a created being, just like we are, in one of the passages in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, it talks about what a good musician Satan was or Lucifer was. But even with all those responsibilities and being considered the best or the highest or the most anointed cherub, angel, his fall from God was because he wanted to be like God or be, be in place of God, be in competition with God. So the very sin that Satan fell for, he knew exactly how to get Eve to fall for. And this theme continues in the New Testament too. Paul discusses this too, which has caused a lot of division in the church over the way Paul wrote it or said it or the way that it's been interpreted to us because certain Bibles say it different ways. And then certain churches teach it different ways. And we're go going to address that tonight. So in verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Adam was hanging out with Eve during this conversation. That's why the New Testament says Eve was deceived but Adam sinned. Eve being deceived means she was led by the trickery of it all. We're women, and I am really a women's minister. We know that there are just certain sale tables that look like that is going to be the best thing for that price. Like, we are just convinced that that marketing is true, and we've got to buy it. And we get home and go... This wasn't as great as I thought it was going to be. And that's kind of what happens with Eve. I mean, we still have similar personalities to that, right? With the sales and the marketing and the shopping and needing the next new improvement, bigger, better, greater, and always looking for the next thing. It is known that women spend more on their families than men do. Women spend more on themselves than men spend on themselves. If you think about our haircuts and our nails and the makeup we wear and now all the face work that's come about and now there's body sculpting. I mean, think about all the things that we do and it's because we have this desire for youth, this desire for new and improved. When men, sometimes I know that, you know, we look at men sometimes and think, why doesn't he you know, shave that thing or 
or trim that area or you know, I mean we we see those things and and I know I'm stereotyping but men typically don't worry about so it was far easier for Eve to be deceived but because Adam was right next to her he took it and ate it so he sinned he sinned she was deceived Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened. Eve's eyes were not opened until Adam ate the fruit too. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. So now she has the ability to say, look, nothing happened to me. You can eat it. But the commandment was given to him. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All of a sudden, with this sin, with this deception, they are introduced to shame because they were naked and unashamed, and now they realize they're naked and they're shamed. They are very shamed. They're shamed to the point that they're taking some of the trees and the leaves and trying to sew them together to cover their body parts. Now, the animals are still walking around naked, but suddenly they realize they're naked and are trying to fix it. So what is it about their nakedness that was so horrible? Well, Adam and Eve were really made in the image of God. And God is spirit. He breathed the dust, the dirt from the ground, and he created living beings. And then he breathed his spirit into their lungs, and they had air, and they had breath. And that breath was like the breath, it was literally the breath of God. Adam and Eve now sin and their eyes are open. They don't understand what death means yet, but they know that something's changed and they see things differently than they had before. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So now they're hiding from God. God was walking with them and talking with them. He created them. He presented Eve to Adam. He was with Adam as Adam named the animals. I mean, there was a great relationship there. And now they're hiding from God. But the Lord called to man, where are you? How you hear the word, where are you, depends where you are with your walk with God. So if you hear an angry voice, where are you? Why are you hiding? Then you might see God as being angry. If you hear God with a compassionate tone of, where are you? This is so not like you to be hiding. What happened? Come talk to me. Then you hear God more as a loving parent who's trying to help his children. I used to hear that voice angry, and as I've grown to know the Lord, I hear it more compassionate now. His God's whole desire is to be in relationship with us, and we have a tendency to just keep hiding and shaming ourselves, and God keeps saying, where are you? Come back to me. Come back to me. Verse 10, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, so I ate it. So now, not only shame has been introduced to the human race, but blame. Right Now we've got blame. Adam is blaming God for giving him Eve. It's the woman you gave me. She made me sin. The, the woman made me do it. And then Eve says, the devil made me do it. And I think we've been saying that ever since, right? 
The devil made me do it. It wasn't, wasn't really my choice. It was the devil. The devil made me do it. And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, and then God starts passing out curses, things that are going to change in their life. For the serpent, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. So we know snakes and serpents only as on their belly. But if you think about this, I wonder if he was a dinosaur. In Sunday school, when I was teaching this, they said he must have been a gecko. And God took off his legs, and now he's on his belly. You know, we have the ability, the imagination to think, what, what was a serpent really like? Because he was cunning, and now God is saying, you're going to crawl on your belly. You're going to be in the dirt all the time. And then he said, I will put enmity. You will be enemies with the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, Satan doesn't have an offspring. He doesn't have the ability to create. He's an angel. Jesus tells us angels are neutered. But Eve does have the ability to create. So Eve's offspring will eventually be Jesus. Eve's offspring will bring about Jesus. And then the verse is, he will crush your head. Jesus will crush the serpent's head and you will strike his heel. So Satan will be instrumental in getting Jesus to the cross, and that's like hurting his heel in comparison to Jesus dying on the cross, and then that is crushing the serpent's head. A result of Eve being able to bear children is what leads to the coming of Christ. Eve means the mother of all living things, all living creatures. So women create not men this is the curse to the serpent then the curse to the woman in verse 16 i will greatly increase your pain in childbirth and with pain you will give birth to children well that's true we have pain but with the advancement of medicine we also have epidurals and c-sections that we don't have to feel all the pain so God is gracious to us because in time that pain was reversed. And then the other thing is your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And that verse is interpreted in a couple of different ways. But basically that a woman will want a husband. A woman will want to please her husband instead of like with Eve wanting Adam to please her and eat that apple. I can see it both ways. You know, we, we like the men to listen to us in our lives, but we also are really trying hard to just have a peaceful household. And that's part of the curse for the woman. So the woman was completely equal with Adam, and now there is a hierarchy. That's what God is saying. To Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it, curses the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. All of a sudden, now there are going to be weeds and thistles and thorns. Adam's job is not going to be as easy as it was. It was a great way of living. And now he's going to have to work against the earth to produce 
what they need. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So Adam and Eve did not eat from the tree of life, which would have kept them living forever. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the next section is, God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. That is the first time Adam and Eve see death. It's the death of one of the animals Adam named. This is the first time they see that the consequences of disobedience causes a ripple effect onto those they love. I mean, these animals talked to Adam and Eve. They were in relationship. And now this animal was killed to clothe the shamefulness that Adam and Eve now had from eating the apple. And that would like hurt so badly. And then the Lord said, now the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve sinned. As a result of that sin, their eyes were opened and they were introduced to new feelings like blame and shame. God, in his mercy, did not allow Adam and Eve to then eat from the tree of life to live forever in their sin. He cast them out of the garden. He put angels around the tree. And I think for Eve, that was probably such a hard thing to look back in the Garden of Eden and know how good they had it. And now they're completely forbidden from going to the Garden of Eden again. And you know, a lot of us deal with regrets from our past, decisions that we've made, and Adam and Eve aren't any, aren't any different. There really is a clear difference, though, between the words shame and guilt. Guilt is not a bad thing. Guilt God uses to convict our hearts or to give us a nudging of, this might not be right. I might not want to do this right now. Or I might have just done something that was really horrible. Or I might have just said something that I shouldn't have said. Guilt is not a bad thing. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And that kindness is in the word guilt. Shame is a bad word. Shame is a word that consumes us. Shame doesn't help us to look up to God and say, did I do something wrong? Shame is a word that we want to coil and look down at ourselves and see our nakedness. Shame has words like hiding from God, darkness, fear, hatred, murder, destruction, death, and evil. Shame is associated with those words, and Satan is the master of shame. So when we are feeling dark, we want to hide, we're paralyzed by fear, we feel like we're on this path of destruction that we can't get out, 
it leads to depression, and it leads to the death of our hopes and our dreams and our goals because we can't see past the shame. That's when we are focusing more on the ways of the devil, serpent, murderer from the beginning, a liar, than Jesus. Because God does use guilt, but with that guilt, if we acknowledge it, there is forgiveness from the conviction. We just have to say, you know, God, I think I did something wrong. Can you please forgive me of my sin as I confess it, that you may cleanse me from this unrighteousness. And with forgiveness, then comes the kindness of God, the love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God. Now, it doesn't happen this quickly because we are primarily flesh. We, we don't walk around like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were primarily spirit. We are primarily bodies that have a soul. I, I talked to a, a friend of mine, and I prayed about it, and I said to the Lord, you know what, Lord, I don't want to keep talking to her if I'm not making an impact on her life. Because she is a known Hindu, was a Buddhist. You want to take the New Age movement and times it by a thousand. That's what she is. Okay, But she also radiates such bright light and has amazing wisdom. I enjoy talking to her because she is very insightful. But I was also thinking, I was studying 1 Corinthians 12 this week, and how Paul said, when you were pagan, you know, you used to be led around by all these demons. And I thought, Lord, she might be tapped in to your spirit, but it really is a deception from Satan. And that's what it is. Even if she has that much wisdom or insight on this earth, she doesn't have salvation. So she doesn't have eternal life that gives you a whole different level of wisdom, knowledge, discernment. She was talking to me about someone she was counseling. You have to see what comes to your mind. And she said, and as long as it's light and, and focuses more on love, that's the answer. I mean, that is her thermometer light and love well that's what ours is too as believers right but it's based on Jesus I said to her well you say it differently than Christians say it I said we have three components we have our body we have our soul and then there's the Spirit of God when we are born we have our body and our soul our body is our physicalness that when you poke it, it bleeds or it bruises. Our soul are the desires of what we want, how we feel, what we think, the choices that we make. That's our soul. It's what drives us. And I said, but our soul does not willingly give itself to the spirit. Because God is spirit. And our soul will not be like God's unless we surrender to the spirit of God. And she said to me, I don't know about that word surrender. I don't, I, I don't know about that. 
I said, well, let's back up a minute. When we're born, our spirit is not alive. The only person who can make our spirit alive is God, who is our creator and is all spirit. And she said, okay. So she said like a collective consciousness. You have to imagine this. If we want to be like God, now who, who said that? You want to be like God? Who said it? The serpent. That's right. So that works on all humans, right? We all want to be like God. That's all the, that's all the cults and the new age movement. Everybody wants to be like God. If we want to be like God, the only way to be like God is to surrender to God. Well, when you're in that kind of religion, the New Age, the Hindu, the Buddhist, the whole, they feel like they can attain to become God themselves. I mean, it, it is really the lie of, of the serpent from the Garden of Eden. But as a Christian, our spirits are dead until we come to the Father through Jesus the Son, through the wooing of the Holy Spirit to say, I am a sinner, I need a savior, I am not God, but Lord, I want to, I've been made in your image and I'm asking you that you will fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can please you on this earth. And as we walk out our lives attempting to live a life honoring to God, we notice our behaviors start to change, our desires start to change, our will, our wants, and our thoughts begin to change. And that's because of a prayer of surrender for a savior that we then can be like, have the Holy Spirit within us to walk like Christians or little Christs. When we have shame, I read a book and she said, whenever you're thinking of shame and you're going down that path of, why did I do that? Or I can't believe I did that. And you become paralyzed, right? You have to say to yourself, you have to break, you have to break that deep darkness in your brain. So it's a good thing to say something like pain, 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 and this isn't what God has for me. And when you acknowledge that you have pain from that shame and you're telling yourself it's coming back to your frontal cortex, which then gives you the ability to pray now because you haven't spun down into depression. You've now taken control to think again. And when you say, God, I'm going down that path again of shame, but I'm asking you to work this together for good. I do take responsibility for it, but I know that you're God. You created something out of nothing, and you can even use this horrible thing in my life to help others and to give you glory. That's the only way I've been able to break the thoughts of shame that lead to such horrible depression. Could be your marriage, it could be how you raised your kids, it could be what you did in high school or college, it could be, I mean, so many things. The enemy can't read our mind. Satan can't read our mind. But he can poke us and put thoughts in our mind. He has been around through all these years, so he knows exactly the sins that our parents got tripped up on and their parents got tripped up. He knows our family genetics better than we do. And he knows exactly what worked in the past. So in order for us to break that cycle of sin in our lives, we have to send Satan back to hell. 
and out of our brains. And I think as Eve kept mm -hmm. looking back, the tree, she dealt with a lot of shame. We're, we're all born with this, so we don't know the difference. She knows the difference. You know what I mean? Like, like we get older and we don't realize how young we used to look. Until we look at pictures, then we go, oh my gosh, I've really changed. Well, she understood the change. It was very, very different for them in the garden. So as we're looking at Eve, we have to understand that then they leave the garden and we have Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were brothers. Cain brought an offering to God and Abel brought an offering to God. Abel's offering was accepted by God because as you read Genesis chapter 4, Abel brought the best of the best of what he had. He brought something that was sacrificial for him. When Cain, it's written that he just brought something. He just, oh yeah, yeah, I got to do this. It's on my checklist and I'll bring this to God. This, I don't need this anyway. This is getting old anyway, so I'll just bring this. Now, I was telling the kids this in Sunday school, and they gave me this great theological message about how, well, God wanted a, a sheep, so Cain was supposed to ask Abel for the sheep because that God killed an animal, and Adam and Eve, saw, and I said, listen, I know you've been taught that by somebody because that is really good theological teaching, but it's not written in the Bible. <laughs> It's not there. Like, it's not anywhere in the Bible. What it says is Cain brought some of his things and Abel brought the best of his things to God. And God was pleased with the best, but God was not pleased with something. That's what God says. And I said, do you think God, to the kids, I said, do you think God values a shepherd more than he values a gardener when he put Adam and Eve in the garden to tend it? Do you think being a gardener was a bad job and that Abel had to go to Cain and, I mean, Cain had to go to Abel and ask for a sheep to offer to God? And they said, no. <laughs> said, right. He didn't. We just didn't bring the best. God wants the best. God wants us to give him things that hurt us to show him how much we value him over us. That's what the entire book of Malachi is about. God comes up to Abel, I mean to Cain, and says, why are you upset? And Cain says, I'm upset that you didn't accept my offering. And God said, sin is crouching at your door, but you must master it. God again asks the question and says, where is your brother? And Cain's answer was wrong again and said, am I my brother's keeper? And then God said, oh no. Abel's blood is crying out from the ground. Now the earth will turn against you, Cain. And Cain said, this punishment is more than I can bear. Someone's going to kill me now. Which is so funny because here he killed his brother. And now he's upset that somebody could kill him. When God created the heavens and the earth, he set up certain principles like gravity. He set up gravity. He set up that if you do certain things, you will have certain results. Okay? So when Cain kills Abel, it's not that God is cursing Cain. It's that God doesn't want us to murder anybody ever. So then a series of things will happen as a result because those are the principles God has put on the earth. Sayings like you reap what you sow or what goes around comes around or karma. 
those are true principles of how God created the heavens and earth and the choices that we make that lead to certain consequences. The choices that we make have certain shadows and we fall in those shadows by different choices that we make. Now, when Cain says to God, this is more than I can handle, God then protect, puts a protection on Cain that no one will kill him and that he will be okay. So God is very gracious to Cain just by Cain being honest to God. And we have to remember that too. There's nothing that we can do that surprises God. He knows we're, we're human. And if we can go to him about anything, he can make it better. We'll still have consequences, but his spirit is able to move through it if we include him in it. If we hide from him or run in shame, he doesn't have the ability to move through it because we're keeping it for ourselves. So it's something that we want to say, God, I am so embarrassed to even tell you this, but I know you saw it happen. And I'm living it over and over and over in my mind. And I can't get released from it. This shame and guilt and darkness is so evil that it is destroying me. But you are a God of life and light. And I'm asking for forgiveness to move through it. And he will. He will. Sometimes it's that day by giving you a peace. But then in time, you do see the circumstances work out. Why? Because then God gets the glory. That's why we're created. But going back to Eve, Eve saw the consequences of her sin when her child, Abel, died. So it wasn't only an animal that died to cover their nakedness, but now her own son died. And it isn't until uh, the next child is born, Seth, in chapter 5 of Genesis, that it says in verse 3, When Adam lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. So now we're not born in the image of God anymore. Now Seth is born in the image of Adam, sinful Adam. And that's how we are now created, in the image of Adam. Not Adam and Eve from the garden, post-garden, Adam and Eve. I do think, and this is just my thought, I do think Cain and Abel had the same kind of relationship with God as Adam and Eve. Because it's almost like after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, then time started. Because then it says he lived 130 years and had Seth. Okay. Seth was made in Adam's image. I do think Eve thought Seth would be the offspring that would take the devil on. I don't think she realized it would be another 2,000 years <laughs> before Jesus came. <laughs> because she said, oh, God gave me another man to replace Abel. And I do think she thought, this is going to be the man that God said is the offspring that would crush the devil's head. And it wasn't. It had a lot more years to go. All right, so then I want to go a little bit into the New Testament just to talk about some of the verses about Eve because I can tell you that, that as a, a woman who's been called to be in ministry, I've been beat up 
by some of these verses from men and women alike, not just men, but and women alike. I'm in 2 Corinthians 11, and Paul is speaking, and I'm reading out of the message because I think the message says it really well, but I will read it also out of the NIV so that you can hear how it's taught. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3 in the NIV, it says, But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul is bringing up Eve's deception and how easily it is now to be deceived, to not keep Jesus as first priority in our life, which is what the whole Old Testament is about, that they couldn't please God, that they couldn't stay faithful to God. The message says, and now I'm afraid that exactly as the snake seduced Eve with his smooth words, you are being lured away from the simple purity of your love for Christ. I think that he says it so much better there. Like, like Eve took for granted her relationship with God in the garden, but she learned the hard way as an animal died and then thorns and thistles, and then childbirth pain, and then Abel dies. And Eugene Peterson says, lured away from the simple purity of your love for Christ. And that's all that we need, is just wake up every morning and say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, thank you for being in my life. Jesus, help me today. And, and staying simple in faith. Then the other verse which is the verse that is challenging for women in general, is in 1 Timothy 2, chapter, verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. So that says a lot of things. That says you're not saved if you don't have children. That says a woman can't ever speak. That, I mean, that says a lot of things. I went to seminary. But even before seminary, I had this worked, uh, you know, I studied the scriptures so much I had it worked out because I knew I was a woman called to be in ministry. And I knew that the gifts that I had, which was leading people to Christ, I had to teach. I had to teach men about Jesus in order for them to come to Jesus. People will say, well, that's fine if you teach them about Jesus to bring them to Jesus. But, but this says a woman needs to be silent. This says a woman can't speak at all. So then you got to back up a little bit and you got to put it in context. The co and I really don't have an issue with this because I really do feel like I'm a woman's minister. When Bobby and I were on the radio for 10 years, the men would call in and tell us that they knew better. And we'd say, great, go find a male pastor to talk to. There's plenty of them. We're here for the women. We got to the point that we just took the women questions. Uh, so we really have a heart for women's ministry. But have I spoken in churches with men and women? Yes. Have I spoken on Sunday mornings at churches? Yes. Have I been asked to? Of course. Yes, of course I have. 
And like when Anne Graham Lotz came to Maranatha Chapel, Ray Bentley's church, people were angry, men and women alike. How could you give her Sunday morning to preach? And he wrote a big letter on his website, and he said, Firstly, she's under the covering of me, Ray Bentley, and the elders, because we asked her to. So we've already approved it. So let it go. You know, but they kept using these verses. Okay, so if we back up, Paul is the elder pastor, and Timothy is new, and he's young. And Paul started this church, and then he left, and left Timothy there to teach them. And he and Paul even said, don't let them look down on you because you're young. Like, you know more than them. But the women who were Gentiles, they were not trained in the church. They're not educated women. They're talking, 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 talking. They're excited. They have the gifts. They're talking about their family, their kids. And Timothy can't get control. Older pastor to younger pastor says, tell the women to be quiet. And it was the only way Timothy could really get a handle of a brand new church. But when Paul goes into they're saved through childbearing, that's when I think the message, again, is very good in how he says it. It's, it's according to the interpretation. And I've got to say, there are a lot of men that like that verse to keep women in their place, right? And men and women are both called to serve. The book of Hebrews, we don't know who the author was. I think it was Paul. But the book of Hebrews in the earliest manuscript is written by a woman. And it is known that Paul was in, he respected Priscilla over her husband Aquila. That is shown in the word of God as Paul frequently says, Priscilla pulled me aside, or Priscilla and her husband Aquila. Like Aquila is the second to Priscilla. So it was probably Priscilla that was the writer for Paul writing Hebrews. There are women at the cross. The first evangelists were women from John 4 and also at the, at the cross of Christ. The women were there. Then we have Romans, and there's at least four women that are mentioned. Phoebe, she is considered one of Paul's right-hand people. It's a woman. I really feel that men have twisted this and used it against us. Because even the sin in the garden, that your husband will be for your, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you, those curses were broken when Jesus died on the cross. We're not, we are now slaves to Jesus and to no man. We are called to obey Jesus first. That's how, that's how that is. I mean, if God hasn't talked to you about it, then yes, you listen to your husband, of course, but, but we can't get sideswiped by the way some people just use these scriptures to kind of control the women, it, it's not fair, and it's it's not even in line with the word salvation, which means freedom. So this is what Eugene Peterson says in the message about 1 Timothy 2. I don't let women take over and tell the men what to do. Does that make sense? Yes. They should study to be quiet and obedient along with everyone else. Does that make sense? Yes. Adam was made first, then Eve. She was deceived first. 
our pioneer in sin. That's true. With Adam right on her heels. On the other hand, her childbearing brought about salvation, reversing Eve. How has Eve's childbearing brought about salvation? Jesus! But this salvation only comes to those who continue in faith, love, and holiness, gathering it all in maturity, and you can depend on this. So isn't that like such a nicer way to address those verses? And really consistent with the love of God, the forgiveness of God, and that salvation is not just a prayer, but it's a process that, yes, childbearing eventually brought Jesus, and now childbearing continues to hopefully we pray for our children to also be saved as we walk out the process of salvation. I know that's a lot, but Eve is a lot. I mean, Eve is just a lot because she is the first of all the women, so we've got to deal with Eve. Thank you for joining Daily Disciples Podcast with Tony Lee Adamson. No more fake, fancy, or fluffy, but real and raw conversations dealing with life and spirituality. For more information, go to dailydisciples.org or connectionsnetwork.tv. And we can't wait to talk to you soon.